welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Some of you know the name Bonnie Hunt. She is an actress, a, a good actress. She's funny. She's in movies where she's got this, often this witty role she plays. She was in Rain Man a million years ago. She was in the cheaper by the dozen movies. She was in the Green Mile, many other movies, many other TV shows, and she's got this great quote about getting older. She says, just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not a fire inside. Snow on the roof, fire inside. And I very much like this quote, and I very much resemble that comment, at least the snow on the roof part. And as we age, it seems to me there's kind of a natural order where we begin to reflect a bit more on life, on what matters, on what doesn't matter. Age clarifies a perspective and a set of values we may not have had when we were younger and busy conquering the world. This is not to glorify getting older as if age automatically means wisdom because we know it doesn't, nor is this to sort of bench those who are older as if pursuing a passion or making a difference is exclusively a younger person's game. It most certainly is not. Remember, just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not a fire inside. And to be sure, this is not at all trying to squelch the young as if working hard, having a dream, having a vision, pursuing a passion are somehow wrong or misguided, for they are not. But as we go along in life, it is good And it is beneficial to now and then pause to consider who we are and where we are and where we are going and see if our trajectory lines up with our stated values and passions. And our scripture reading, as I mentioned, is from the last chapter of this very fascinating book of Ecclesiastes, generally considered to have been written by Solomon, the guy we've been studying over the past several weeks. And in his heyday, the Bible calls him the wisest guy on the planet. Now, it's hard to know the exact context surrounding the writing of this book, but one theory that a lot of scholars support, and it makes sense, at least to me, is that Solomon wrote this book in his later years. He wrote it when there was snow on his roof, we might say. He looked back and he reflected on his life and on the art of living in general. We haven't crossed this point yet in Solomon's story, but we're going to see in a couple weeks that things really fall apart for Solomon. And he loses this wisdom that he lived much of his life with. And scholars think that it's after all that that he's kind of looking back with some observations and realizations about life and about the art of living. Solomon lived large in his day. He was the son, uh, one of the sons of the famous warrior king David. Everybody knew who he was. He himself was the king of Israel, as we've learned. He was unmatched in wisdom. He was filthy rich. He had hundreds of wives. He had children. He had accomplished many good things and many big projects in his life, like building the temple and building an impressive palace for himself. And all along the way of his life, he had seen and he had heard the paradoxes of life. The rich and the poor. Those who laugh and those who at the same time are weeping. 
the kind of twists and turns of life where there are times of war and there are times of peace. There's a time to be born and the hope and the celebration around that, and there's a time to die, the letting go and the moving on. And he had seen all that. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he brings his unique wisdom to the various pursuits and values and adventures of life, and he analyzes them with philosophical reflection and precision, all in an effort to whittle life down to its ultimate and essential essence, to sift out what matters and satisfies from what doesn't matter and from what doesn't satisfy. An example being verse 9, we sort of see what's going on in his inner world. He says, he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. And you can kind of see he's sort of being very particular and precise about what he's tried to do in this book and in, in finding the right words to capture the essence of life. And after all this pondering and reflecting, as our scripture said, his final conclusion is stated in the scripture. We read it a moment ago, and he says, to lead into it, the final conclusion of the matter is this, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And today, as Jordan said, or as Dave said, Jordan said, we're talking about wisdom in contemplation. The wisdom of now and then pausing in our lives to reflect on God, to reflect on life, and how those two things intersect and flow forward. Who we are and where we are going to see if our trajectory matches our priorities and our values. So I have a few thoughts on this. These are really a couple of practices for us to engage in. The first thought is this, the importance of being reflective. Ecclesiastes is not an easy book to read. If you've ever given it a shot, you've probably found it to be a tad bit depressing. It's especially not an easy book to read if we're the kind of person who tends to ignore or block out the difficult parts of our inner world or of life. We don't like, in other words, the harsher realities of life. We don't like thinking, for example, about our past. So we cover our eyes and our ears. We put blinders on. We keep our eyes forward. And some of us do this. Doesn't matter what age, young, old, and everything in between, sometimes opt for this strategy. Well, Solomon does not do this. He is seeking after the truth about God and about life and about himself and about the various pursuits and the various passions of life so he's kind of a depressing dude here in his older years. When you read through this, it can be tough to read through it because he's picking through all these discoveries he's made as he's pondered these things. In the second verse of the book, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That'll draw you in, won't it? Not exactly in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. I mean, this is like, Solomon, go to Disneyland or have a big pour of a good Cabernet, but you need something, dude, to relax. Throughout the book of Solomon, he, he, or throughout the book, Solomon says things like this. He says, I looked and I saw. 
in chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, I applied, my, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after wind. And all God's people said, chill out, dude, and relax. But one thing Solomon does do is he provides a marvelous example of a person who takes the time to reflect on what matters in life and what doesn't. And regardless of our age or stage in life, in fact, especially, I would say, for those who are younger, who don't have much snow on the roof, being reflective is incredibly wise and worthwhile. One of the observations I've had over my years of being a pastor is that many people do not like reflection, so they do not live reflectively. They don't make the time for it. Why? Eh, It feels too heavy, too intense, too serious. Or, and I think this is the most common reason why people live unreflectively, is because it is scary to be reflective. Because reflection brings us face to face with the bigger realities of life, and it's just easier and less intimidating to cover our eyes and ears and pretend those things don't exist or pretend those things don't really affect us and just watch another football game or TV show. But throughout the centuries, the big questions of life have always been the most important questions. Things like, who am I? What is my purpose for being on this planet? What is the good life? What actually makes up the good life? Is there a God? What is God like? Is there anything after death? What is ultimately satisfying in this life? Solomon embarked on an exhaustive search to answer these kinds of ultimate questions, and his discoveries are found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it is good for us, and it is wise for us, to pause now and then and reflect on things that matter. To walk into reflection and sit there instead of running away from it. It is especially good for young people to think about their lives and who they are and why they are the way they are and to consider their future and why God has them on this planet. It's good for those of us who have snow on our roof to invite God to keep stoking the fire inside and resist with every ounce of our being this idea that as we get older, the fire goes away and we shift into neutral and just coast. That's just nonsense on steroids. It's really good for us to reflect on what does God want to do in us, in me, and through us, even though we're getting older. I remember sitting next to Dallas Willard once while he was eating lunch during a break from a class that he was teaching that I was taking. He was about 65 years old or so at the time. And for those who may not know who he was, he was a marvelous philosopher at USC. He was a profound teacher of the gospel, and he was a passionate reformer of American consumer Christianity. And Willard permanently reshaped Kent and me and a number of other leaders in our church, and his influence is still reshaping us. Well, at that lunch, 
I asked him what projects he was working on, and his answer just stuck with me for some reason. He said, well, I'm writing such and such a book, and then I'm going to go do this, and this is the part that grabbed me. He said, then I have a few other things I'd like to do before I die. Well, it just got me, this reflective presence, even at 65, as he thinks about his purpose going forward. He was in tune with God. He was in tune with the purpose God had for him in his life. And his reflective posture was deeply impactful to me. See, one of the things all ages fear in this practice of reflection is facing the realities that have shaped them into the person they currently are. We fear this. You see, we don't just live the way we live and respond the way we respond and process life the way we do and react to things the way we do and relate to others the way we do because, well, that's just who we are. Or, you know, that's just my personality. That is not the whole story. Our past shapes our present in healthy ways and maybe not so healthy ways. Or as Under Armour's recent slogan put it, the only way is through. Reflecting on the realities that have shaped us, the people, the voices, the events, the experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, is essential if we're going to move through them and eventually beyond them. So we need times where we're reflecting on God, we're reflecting on life, And the big questions like, who am I? Where am I going? Why do I respond to this in this way? Am I living out my values? Secondly, a word on the importance of enjoying life. The beauty of the book of Ecclesiastes is that it organically melds together what Solomon refers to as the realm of heaven with the realm of earth. So God mixes with humanity throughout this book, and the result is a refreshingly authentic take on the challenges of life, the disappointments of life, and the sometimes harsh discoveries of life that can all be navigated with joy and contentment because God is real and God is good and God is present with us. Six times in this book, Solomon tells his reader to enjoy life. He says, for example... This is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. In another place, he says, I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. This isn't some polished up pretend religious happiness. This is authentic joy, facing the realities of life with confidence in God and joy and happiness because God is real and he is good and he gives good gifts to his children to be enjoyed. Last summer I had the wonderful privilege of officiating the wedding of our son Sam and his new wife Lauren, And it was one of those rare days when the goodness of God and the joy of life were so full, they overflowed. I hope you've had one or two of those days in your life. 
It was one of those days where you could spend the rest of your life trying to wordsmith the magnitude of the good and the deliciousness of the joy, but no words would ever be sufficient to accurately capture it all. After the ceremony, our two daughters stood together in front of the reception and each gave a speech to Lauren and to Sam. And I sat there and I watched them and I listened to them. And then I would look and watch Sam's face. And then I would look and watch Julie's face. And it was one of the most exquisite moments of my existence. I had this thought right then and there. God, it's okay. You can take me right now. Because this is about as good as it can get. See, our lives are gifts from God to be enjoyed, to be savored. That's not a denial of the hardships. It is, in fact, a headfirst embracing of the hardships and reframing them under God. Solomon constantly drives home the point that real life, joy-filled life, happens when our lives, the totality of them, are interwoven with God so we live with an awareness of his plan and his purpose and his greatness and his goodness so that no matter what happens... No matter where the road takes us, we can experience joy and trust him through it all. Third and last, we see in all this the importance of aligning with God. He says in this summary statement, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Live this life with him, not separate from him. Now, know about you, but when I read this phrase, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind, it doesn't actually sound all that inviting to me. It sounds like a job. It sounds like an assignment. It sounds a bit like a to-do list. But here's the thing. Remember, Solomon tried it all. He had the money to finance the pursuit of every shiny object that caught his eye. And he discovered something along the way. He discovered something about God and about his commands or about the ways of God. And what he discovered is that God's ways and commands are not burdensome or oppressive or joy stealers. His ways and his commands actually lead us into the life we've always wanted. It's one of the great mysteries of the Christian story. The way to find our lives is to lose our lives. The way to fulfill our purpose is to first align with God's purpose for us. The good life, as Solomon discovered, is not found in a free-for-all pursuit of pleasure, achievement, work, success, wealth. The good life is found through humble submission to God and his ways. His commands, his way, perhaps counterintuitively, are where joy is found where meaning is found, where hope is found, and where the good life is found.